So today we're continuing our journey through the Psalms, and we're praying the Psalms. I know for a lot of people that kind of might not sound like an exciting series, it might not sound like an exciting title, uh, you know, prayer just seems to be this scary thing. Uh, it's something that we, we know we should do, uh, but we don't always do it, uh, and we don't always know really how to do it. And so as we started off a couple of weeks ago, looking at the Psalms, we are reminded that the Psalms are these incredible poems and these incredible songs that teach us how to pray. Uh, And part of why we would want to even do that is we're praying for revival. We're praying that God would reawaken his people, that he would revive, uh, re-energize, kind of re-enthuse us as we journey with God. And of course, as we journey with God, so we understand that we do life with other people around us. So we pray, we pray revival that God would awaken us as we awaken to him and then awaken to those around us. And today we're continuing that journey and we're going to be going into Psalm 3. And it's this incredible cry of help, kind of help me, Lord. You know, I don't know if you've ever been in those sort of situations where you help me, Lord. There's nothing else I can do. I need your help. You know, I, I'm amazed at how often uh, I'll notice on Facebook or YouTube or something like that, someone will share a video generally of an animal that is in some sort of danger. You know, maybe it's an animal like a dog that's got itself in trouble. Uh, and then it'll be this rescue video. I watched one a few days ago of a dog that had fallen into an ice, kind of there was this ice river and had fallen through a patch in the ice and was kind of clinging on to, I think it was a log or something, just hanging on by its jaws, uh, hanging on for dear life. And of course, some people see this and and they start kind of, hey, we've got to do something. And they jump into action to come and rescue this animal from this frozen, frigid water. And and so this team of people kind of get together and they wrap a rope around this one guy or tie a rope around him and and out he kind of wades and eventually gets to the point where, yeah, the ice isn't strong enough to hold him and and he actually falls into the water as well and then kind of wades through this icy water to rescue this dog. And, and the dog had obviously been there for a little while, and so they get the dog out onto the ice and, and sort of try and get it to move, but it's pretty much nearly frozen solid. You know, I mean, it, it's not literally frozen solid, but it's so cold that it just cannot move. So, you know, they work, and he kind of gets the dog to the edge, and by now hypothermia is kind of setting in on this poor animal. Uh, and they wrap it with blankets and they're trying to warm it up. And, and in that moment, the dog, I guess because of the hypothermia, because of the exposure, the, the dog's heart stops and the dog stops breathing. Uh, but, but that doesn't deter the rescuers. And no, they don't give up. They, they give the dog CPR and they rescue this dog. They, they massage its heart and warm it up and, and the dog revives. You know, and, and I kind of watch that and I'm always amazed you can hop onto YouTube and search for animal rescue videos and you'll find hundreds, if not thousands. And I'm always amazed at how humans will jump uh, when they see an animal in danger and see an animal in need. You know, some people might look at it and kind of go, why are you putting your life in danger? It's, it's just an animal. Now, I'm not saying I would say that, but I can understand some people would say, look, why are you risking your own life for an animal? Yet we have this, this innate sense 
this innate kind of view of, hey, this is one of God's creatures. This is God's creation, and it's in need of help. And I kind of th- pause at that moment, and I sort of go, well, if, if God's put that desire and that innate sort of instinct within us to jump into action, to rescue even an animal in need, well, doesn't that maybe point to God and God's desire to spring into action when we are in need? That God will do whatever possible to help us, to rescue us, to come to our aid in those times of need. And I think that's what we see in this psalm, in Psalm 3. We see in King David the sense of David in desperate need. And so David cries out, Lord, help me. And we see God at work. If you have your Bibles, you're welcome to turn to Psalm chapter 3. And we'll kind of read through that as we go through it. But as we open Psalm 3, as we begin Psalm 3, the first thing we notice is there's this betrayal. David is betrayed. And this is how he opens up. In verse 1 of Psalm 3, he says, Lord, how many are my foes? How many rise up against me? Many are saying of me, God will not deliver him. But you, Lord, are a shield around me. My glory, the one who lifts my head high. I call out to the Lord and he answers me from his holy mountain. You know, now before we, we kind of dive into this and before we dig into the psalm, we first need to understand what's happening. There's a context to this psalm. David hasn't just written this in, in this absence Uh, He hasn't written this in a void. There's a story happening. There's a context to the psalm. And once we understand that context, suddenly this psalm makes so much more to us. And we we read about this psalm, or we read the context of this psalm in 2 Samuel chapters 15 to 18. And what's going on is David's son Absalom is rebelling against his father. It's a sad story, to be honest, when we read through 2 Samuel 15 through to 18. You know, it starts with David fleeing his palace. In the middle of the night, David is forced to rush out and to cross the Kedron Valley and to get away from those who are seeking to end his life. He takes a small group of faithful followers with him and they go off to hide from his son. And we read that as David flees, as David kind of gets across the valley, so he passes the Mount of Olives. And as he passes the Mount of Olives, he just starts weeping at what's going on. And he, he tears his clothes and he puts dust on his head. And, and that's a sign of mourning. You know, he's mourning what is going on as his own son wants him dead to take over the throne. So this is what we have in the psalm. We have David pouring out his heart. It's like the world has turned against him, beginning with his son, and then, and we'll see in 2 Samuel 15 and on with so many others. And so David pours out his heart because it looks like the world has turned against him. He begins in verse 1 by saying, Lord, how many are my foes? He's pointing out the crowds, the multitude that were against him. How many rise up against me? Many are saying of me, God will not deliver him. Now, if David was not a follower of God, if David did not worship God, he would have had great reason to just give up. 
Here he is betrayed by his own son and his own friends and his own people. We're told in 2 Samuel chapter 15 that the hearts of all Israel went after Absalom. That includes the common people. That includes David's counselors. That includes even many of his soldiers. It's this, this difficult patch, this tough time for David. And so in verse 2, when David says, Many are saying of me, God will not deliver him. David is pointing out that those people who've betrayed him genuinely believe God is even against David. In fact, some of them think they're doing God's work. They think that God has rejected David and that God is against David. And this is why these things are happening. David has been judged. They think they're doing God's work while David is not. And of course, you and I might read that and we kind of might go, well, that's ridiculous. How could anyone think that about David? Scripture says David was a man after God's own heart. How could someone be against David? Well, David wasn't perfect. David wasn't innocent. David had blood on his own hands as well. Before all of this happened, we read of how David commits adultery with Bathsheba. And then has Bathsheba's husband Uriah killed or murdered on the battlefield. And that sin that's done in private, well now Absalom's rebellion, rebellion sorry, is in full view of the public. So to the average person on the outside looking in, yes, it would certainly appear that God was against David. We read in 2 Samuel chapter 16 that as David is walking along, so as David is journeying towards the wilderness with this little band of faithful followers, a man named Shammai starts yelling at David and starts calling curses on David. In verse 8 of 2 Samuel 16, he says, The Lord has brought upon you all the blood of the house of Saul, in whose place you have reigned. And the Lord has delivered the kingdom into the hand of Absalom, your son. So now you are caught in your own evil because you are a bloodthirsty man. So here we have David's enemies making the claim that God has turned against him. And that no matter what David did, God would not help him. But you know, as we read that story and as we read these Psalms, we kind of start to get that sense that just because God is allowing all of this to happen, it does not mean God has turned against David. God is still doing something in David, even in the midst of these terrible circumstances around him. And so in verse 3 and 4, David turns his eyes away from the trials. David turns his eyes away from what's going on around him, and he looks up to God. And he simply says, you, Lord, are a shield around me. And David was a warrior. So David could picture this rebellion against him as a spiritual attack by the evil one or by Satan. David could see these fiery arrows and darts of the enemy being hurled at him. And David knows the enemy wants him to think God has forsaken him. But David knows better. And so David lifts his eyes back up to God. And he knows God is his shield. And so as he looks to God and as he cries out, he knows that God has heard his voice. That God has not forsaken him despite the appearances of what's going on. 
It's evident that David knows this. Because he's not asking God to be a shield for him. David's words are, you, Lord, are a shield for me. David was walking with the Lord in close fellowship. Even in the midst of these trials and tribulations, and he knew that God was still with him. What about you and me today? What do we take out of this as we read through these words of David? Well, there will be times in your life and there will be times in my life where close friends and family, loved ones, or or maybe acquaintances, colleagues, people around us, there will be times when they seek to destroy us. Sure, we might not experience a family member literally trying to kill us like Absalom was for David, but every one of us will go through those times where we will feel betrayed and even betrayed by those who are supposed to be the closest to us to those who once pledged allegiance, to those who once declared love and faithfulness. And now we face this rejection and this this turning away. And as they rally against us, it will feel like the world is against us. And sadly, for many of us, in those times, those who are against us will even try and sound spiritual, just like David's enemies. They will believe they're doing God's job and God's work. That's what Absalom, David's own son, and his counselor Ahithophel believed. And they were leading the people to believe it as well. That They were leading the people to believe that God was on their side and not on David's side. They felt the proof was in the fact that the majority were following them. Yet they were gravely mistaken. God was not on their side. They were in rebellion against God. And against his anointed king, David. What, what can we do when we find ourselves in a situation where emotionally and spiritually and relationally we feel overwhelmed. We feel betrayal tearing us apart, breaking our heart or grieving us, bringing us to tears. Well, the answer is to do what David did. It's to turn our eyes up to God. It's to look to God and say with assurance what David says, God, you are my shield. You lift me up and you hear when I call. You know, Charles Spurgeon talks about surely silent prayers are heard. And indeed, they are. When we cry out, whether silently or in fact, in sometimes literally and verbally as we uh, fall next to our bed or even on our bed and we cry out to God. Scripture makes it clear. God makes it clear. He hears when we call. He listens to us and he responds. In fact, God's word reminds us that no person, no mortal man, no spiritual enemy, not even Satan himself can separate us from the love of God through Jesus Christ our Lord. So when you're betrayed, don't give up. Keep your eyes on Christ. Look to God our Father. Focus on the relationship we have with him and live in fellowship with him. This is what David teaches us, even in the opening verses of Psalm 3. David is betrayed, yet he turns to God. But not only is David betrayed, we see a need that David has. And David needs rest. David is exhausted and he needs rest. And so in verse 5 and 6 of Psalm 3, we read, 
David says, I lie down and sleep. I wake again because the Lord sustains me. I will not fear though tens of thousands assail me on every side. We all know what it's like to need rest when we're physically exhausted. Now, I used to run a lot. I still call myself a runner, even though I haven't run since summer last year. I I tore my ACL and damaged my knee and needed surgery in November. And so I'm slowly kind of recovering and hoping to get to that point to run again. You know, I used to joke that I was running from a bad diet and now my diet is catching up. So I need to get running again. But you know, when when I used to run and I would train for various runs, I was never an elite runner. I was never an elite marathoner who could literally charge from beginning to end of the marathon. You know, my running strategy in any of my races or any of my marathons has always been a case of, well, I'm going to go for as long and as hard as I can, and and then I'll walk for a little bit, and once I've got my breath, I'll run again and, and go on for a little bit more. In my history of running, I've, I've run two ultramarathons. I've run five marathons and about 15 ultramarathons. Do you know the absurd thing is, in every one of those runs, at some point in the run, I've thought to myself, why am I doing this? I am exhausted and worn out. I need to rest And in every one of those runs, when I've crossed the finish line, I've generally needed to find a place to just collapse and rest for a little while. I'm clearly a sucker for punishment. But we understand. We need to rest from time to time. Now, of course, you yourself may never have run like that, and and you'd be right in thinking maybe I'm a little off my rocker to keep running Uh, But I'm sure that there are times in your life where you've hit some season and and you've needed that rest. Uh, You're exhausted, you're worn out, you have no energy, and, and, and you need rest from those things that are sapping the energy. And here in verse 5 and 6, David is still in the midst of his betrayal. David is still in the midst of that marathon, for want of a better word. David is still experiencing those trials and challenges coming at him. And David needs rest. But here's the incredible thing. Because David has kept his focus on God, because David is keeping his eyes on God, God gives him rest. He can lay down and rest. He sleeps, and not only does he sleep, but he wakes again because God protects him and sustains him. Even that little line of, I awake again, David's reminding those who think God is against him that no. There were many who thought David wouldn't even last the night as he fled from his son Absalom. And David reminds us that no. In God, I can rest, and I can lay myself down to sleep, and I can wake up again. I'm reminded of the story of a friend of mine who found himself in a foreign country needing to get home, and his flight had been canceled, and he needed to get back because he had another conference to present at, and he was kind of panicking because he knew what was on the line. And at the airport in the evening, they had said there are no more flights and maybe you'll get lucky in the first flight in the morning. And he needed that flight. So he went back to his hotel room and he was pacing up and down, praying and just crying out to God. And and eventually he kind of paused and went, wait a minute. 
God is sovereign. God is in control. And God will stay up. He never sleeps. He never slumbers. God will do what he wants to do. And either I will catch a flight or I will miss a flight. And regardless of what happens, I am still in God's hand and I am still God's child. And with that in mind, he went to sleep. And he tells the story and he says, do you know I probably had one of the best nights of sleep I've ever had? Because I knew God was in control. And I trusted God with the outcome. And this is exactly what David does. David sleeps and rests because he needs it. And he finds that rest in God. Even though, as David said, 10,000 of people, 10,000s of people set themselves around him and against him, David doesn't fear because God was with him. I don't know about you. I don't know what you're going through at the moment. But you and I can learn from this. When it feels like we're being betrayed, when it feels like everything and everyone is against us, when things just aren't happening in the way that we had hoped, when things that we desire just aren't coming to bear, we can rest in God because God refreshes us. God gives us our strength back when we rest in Him. God draws us closer when we rest in Him. And of course, God sustains us when we rest. We're told in Isaiah 26 verse 3, You will keep them in perfect peace whose mind is fixed on you because they trust in you. Think about that for a moment. When people betray us, whether friends, family or acquaintances, when people work tirelessly to bring us down, when people work to come against us, there's a lot of energy and a lot of effort. There's gossip, there's deception, there's digging for dirt and many other things. And that's what Absalom and Ahithophel were doing, along with others who David had trusted. They were lying and gossiping and kind of trying to turn everyone else against David. And if David had focused on what they were doing, David would have sleepless nights galore. Instead, David's mind was fixed on God. And just as Isaiah said, David found peace and he found rest because he wasn't focused on those external things. He was focused on God. You and I need to learn to fix our minds on God, to fix our minds on Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior, and He will give us rest. But you know, as we read through the psalm, David didn't only need rest. Sure, it was great to get rest. I'm sure David didn't complain about getting some good rest. David didn't only need rest. David needed God to save him. That's what he says in verse 7 to 8. In the closing verses of Psalm 3, David writes, Arise, Lord, deliver me, my God. Strike all my enemies on the jaw. Break the teeth of the wicked. From the Lord comes deliverance. May your blessing be on your people. So we've seen David betrayed and, and we've seen him rest as God took care of him. And now finally, David asks God to take action and to save him. And now obviously, David knew God would would do what God was planning to do because it was God's story at work. And David understood that he was simply a part of God's biggest story. 
But he, he prays because he understands the importance of prayer. And this is what he teaches you and I. As we experience the hardships we experience. As we experience those moments where the only thing we can do is cry out, Lord, save me. David teaches us that God saves his children and his people. David prays. He says, they're rising up against me, even as his enemies hunted him. And he prays, you, Lord, are a shield for me. And now, even as David, David's enemy, his own son, sits on his throne, David cries out, arise, Lord, deliver me. You know what I find interesting about those words, arise, O Lord, is we see these words used by Moses in the wilderness. Every time the children of Israel broke camp and traveled on their journey as God led them through the wilderness. We're told in Numbers chapter 10 verse 35, so it was whenever the ark set out that Moses said, arise, O Lord. Let your enemies be scattered and let those who hate you flee before you. This is what David is praying. There's a confidence in this prayer because it's a battle cry. Not for David to go to battle, but a recognition that the Lord has already gone before him and that the Lord is defending him and the Lord is leading to victory. And that's because the battle belongs to the Lord, not to David. Yes, David was a, a great warrior. And yes, David had soldiers with him that were willing to fight. But David realized that on his own with his warriors, they would be nothing without God. They would never win unless God did the work. And this is why David credits God and gives God glory for the victory even before the battle is over. David says, strike all my enemies on the jaw, break the teeth of the wicked. And this is kind of that image of total domination and defeat of the army. And we see the echo of this in the New Testament in Hebrews chapter 10, verse 31, when the writer to the Hebrews says, it is a fearful thing to fall in the hands of the living God. Because God Almighty knows everything. God Almighty sees everything. He knows the human heart. He knows the reasons behind our actions and, and why we do the things we do. He sees the sin at work. And such that when we betray someone out of greed or jealousy or any number of selfish reasons, God remembers. And so for Absalom, Absalom wants the throne. He wants the title. He wants the power. And he wants David removed so that he can take that. We read in 2 Samuel chapter 18 that David sent out their soldiers and as his soldiers go out and as God fights for him, they killed over 20,000 of Absalom's soldiers. Those people who had turned against David and followed him. But not all those people were killed by the sword. There's this fascinating verse in, in, in 2 Samuel 18, verse 8, which says, The battle spread out over the whole countryside, and the forest swallowed up more men that day than the sword. That means that God causes this fleeing army to run into this, this forest, this particular area of woods, and they think they're going to escape. They think they're finally free, yet somehow they're killed. As for the forest devouring them, there are probably several ways that God did that, but that's speculation for another time. And as far as Absalom is concerned, before David's generals go out, David instructs them not to kill Absalom. 
Unfortunately, Joab disobeys those orders. And so while fleeing, Absalom's hair, apparently he had long hair, it gets stuck in a tree and, and he kind of, he's left hanging in the tree with no defense. So Joab comes along and he, he runs through spears through Absalom's heart. And ten of his armor bearers surround Absalom and they finish him off. And in that day, God put an end to the rebellion and God put David back on the throne Psalm 3 verse 8 says, From the Lord comes deliverance. May your blessing be on your people. All the credit and all the glory went to God for the victory. In fact, what's amazing about that story is David didn't even go into the battle. He, He wanted to. But in 2 Samuel verse 18, the people tell David, You shall not go out. For if we flee away, they will not care about us. Nor, even if half of us die, will they care about us. But you are worth 10,000 of us now, for you are more help to us in this city. So David doesn't lift even a finger and God rescues him from his enemy. Now, am I saying as we read through this that the moment you cry out to God, God will intervene in the same miraculous way and, and rescue you in that same instant? No, not for a moment. I know that each one of us are going, will go through experiences and go through trials and hardships where it will feel like the world is against us. And it might be that you've already cried out, God, help me, Lord, save me. And it feels like you're still in that battle. I don't know why God does the things he does in the way that he does them. But I know that if David were alive and if David were speaking to us today, David would remind us our help comes from God. We don't need to lift a finger. We don't need to cling to some sort of catchy phrase, you know, something like, if it's to be, it's up to me. No, not at all. We need to learn to keep our eyes fixed on God. We need to look to Jesus Christ, the author and perfecter and finisher of our faith. And we need to rest in him, even in the midst of the trial, knowing that God will do something incredible because God is good and God loves us and cares about us. As we read through this psalm, Lord, help me. May you learn to trust God. And indeed, may you experience victory. May you experience that peace. But even if that takes a while to come, may you learn to experience the presence of God. Just as David said, that God, you are my shield and you will deliver me. Let us pray. Father God, as we read this psalm, as we we learn to pray this psalm, Father, I'm aware that for many of us, We are going through deep experiences, deep waters, deep valleys, where we feel betrayed. Perhaps to an extent, we might even feel betrayed by you. Oh God, would you remind us through the words of David that you have not forgotten us. You have not abandoned us. You are with us. You are our shield. You are our sustainer, our provider and protector. God, I pray, help us to fix our eyes on you, to fix our minds on you, and to rest in you, even in the midst of trials and hardships. 
and then God. Because David prays it and David teaches us to pray it. Lord, we cry out to help. Save us. I pray, God, that someone watching today would experience deliverance from you, would experience this victory. And that, Lord, they would be able to give credit and glory and testimony back to your goodness as they experience your rescue. God, we thank you for this psalm. Use it in our lives and bring glory to your name. For we pray this in the name of Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior. And together we say, Amen. Amen.